The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Over 88% of the Irish population, according to some reports, will be overweight or obese by the year 2060. With more sugary snacks and options available to us and tempting offers on giant snack bags, are we likely to be able to prevent that outcome? Well, we'll be asking Donald O'Shea that in a minute. But before that, our reporter JJ Clark went out on the streets to find out if people think the sugar tax works and do they find it difficult to say no to junk food. I feel like every little, like awareness we all have towards the sugar tax and like the obesity crisis with people like really helps no not even slightly like i think i don't think it's ever going to work for something like that because you're trying to combat something by negatively impacting it so like if you positively impact things is the only way you're ever going to make prolonged and like actual change in any aspect of life i don't think people actually look at the price or anything because i still just go and buy like whatever it is save the, the can of coke or whatever so yeah, I don't think, I think so, yeah. Same. I don't really think that it's made much of a difference, to be honest. I don't know if we just haven't noticed it or what, but I don't know. I don't really find that it's made any difference to it. No, it doesn't. Haven't we got all terrible pictures on the cigarette packets? It doesn't stop people from smoking. I think that money needs to be spent on parent education. like. And the other point around obesity in children, like there's a huge genetic component, so like, yeah, no, I, I don't personally think that that's going to do anything. I think... It's either it's a real education piece for parents and you know the healthcare system as a whole. And it wouldn't stop me, no matter how much tax is on it, I'd still buy it. Is it difficult or is it easy to make healthy eating decisions in Ireland? Um, I think I was vegan for a while, and I found it really tricky. Like even as you say, like in petrol stations. If you're really keen for a sweet drink, even if they put it up by two euro. Oh, yeah, that would stop me. That would make a difference. It's the sense, I think, that you wouldn't really notice it going up like 10 or 20 cents. But if it went up two euro, yeah. I'd be like, not a chance. I'd be like, that's robbery. Like, <laughs> no, Our reporter JJ Clark there on the streets of Dublin finding out if the sugar tax has an impact on people. Well, Professor Donald O'Shea, head of the uh, Obesity Research Group, is with us. Donald, for those who are unfamiliar, remind us what the sugar tax is and what it applies to. Well, uh, the sugar tax was introduced about five years ago, and it's a tax on sugar-sweetened drinks. Uh, So drinks that contain added sugar um, uh, over uh, a certain percentage. So it basically applied to your uh, 7-Ups, your Cokes, your Sprites. And it's very interesting. So that Vox Pop there shows that we have a bright, educated population in Ireland, and that is are potentially our biggest defence. Where the sugar tax worked was you had massive reformulation by the companies to bring the sugar content of their main brands down below uh, a high tax threshold. And you had that across the UK and Ireland because the UK and Ireland introduced it at the same time. So uh, taxation makes the food and drinks industry uh, respond. Legislation makes the food and drinks industry respond. They can't and are unable to act on a voluntary basis, which is why you have what you see when you pull into a motorway stop, when you go into the petrol station, when you go into your uh, local Aldi little super value. Uh, High fat, high salt, high sugar, ultra processed foods in all the prominent locations. And that makes making healthy eating choices difficult.
Now, to what extent can you legislate or regulate around that? Because we've seen with the alcohol consumption levels that things like making it less available, more costly, tucking it away in shops, all of those kind of things have an impact on consumer behaviour. Is that difficult to do with something as, as broad an area as sweets in general? Uh, it, it is difficult to do. And uh, we know plain packaging works. We know health warnings work. Uh, do we want a society where you're putting those on your jelly tots? Um, you know, I'm not sure you do. Do you want a society uh, that's health system uh, and individual's health is crippled by an obesity uh, epidemic that is only getting worse? And I, I visited Manchester a couple of weeks ago and I there's a, a poem, I have a vision of the future, chum. I could not believe the degree of obesity that I saw in Manchester. Uh, and it was up a level from what we are seeing in Ireland. I was shocked. So if, and we have a better educated population in Ireland than they do in the UK. Uh, more people stay in school longer and more people go to third level. So we have that defence, uh, but that's not going to last us forever and we already have obesity problems uh, that are um, unacceptable. What you saw in Manchester, what do you think was driving that? I think it was definitely lack of education. 18% of their population leave after the equivalent of junior cert and don't go on uh, to any further education. And uh, we don't have that in Ireland. The vast majority stay on to leaving cert. And education is huge in, in people uh, choosing healthier uh, options, healthier lifestyles. So uh, that's on our side. Uh, but now, can you just can you sure extrapolate a bit that. further on, on that, Donald? The the healthier choices is that healthier choices about main main meals? Is it about portion sizes? Is it about confectionery at the supermarket? What? It's really about uh, a combination. So even on your vox pop, there will be people talking about genetics, lifestyle, uh, the role of smoking, and, and all of that. Uh, it is. I mean, there's no doubt the top shelf of that food pyramid, the confectionery, uh, the the cakes, the ultra-processed foods contribute about 25% of our daily calorie intake and don't have any vitamins, minerals or nutrients. They're empty calories. Um, and uh, the sugar tax only applied to drinks, didn't apply to any of the other confectionery uh, items. So I think you, you need to look at uh, do we introduce a tax there that will drive reformulation uh, by the food and drinks industry? Uh, how can we get people uh, more active in their daily commutes? I mean, my, my big hope with the emergence of electric cars is that people won't be pulling into petrol stations uh, and therefore won't be open to that vulgar temptation that is on display uh, in, inside in the, in the garage forecourt that has only got worse in the last five years despite commitments from the food and drinks industry to self-regulating um, you know sweets um, at, at checkouts. I mean you have to walk through a tunnel of sweets and crisps uh, and cakes to get to pay for your petrol. And it's a tunnel uh, so that is set up at, at Children's Eye Line as well in most garages. 
and uh, exactly and if you look at the products that are lower down in those tunnels uh, they are targeting the three-year-olds because uh, a three-year-old's palate has a different bliss point from a seven-year-old's palate and the seven-year-old's uh, products will be at the seven-year-old's eye level in colors that are designed to be attractive to a seven-year-old's kind of uh, evolving brain and with a, a kind of a taste and texture that's specifically designed for that seven-year-old palate. And if you habituate a palate and taste to sweet and processed, it's really very difficult to get that uh, child to engage with a Brussels sprout or an asparagus tip. What of parents who will say, if you say to the child, no, you are not allowed to have those sweets and those treats, what you do is you create a forbidden fruit and an obsession in the child? Uh, well, the food and drinks industry create the obsession by targeting the palate of a three-year-old and targeting the palate of a seven-year-old. So if you get it, you want more. Uh, a parent's job is to limit access. I think bans, you know, never work. Uh, they're counterproductive. Uh, they do create that element of forbidden fruit. So. Uh, a parent has to navigate that as um, sensibly as they can. And the best way of doing that is that you ensure you have limited, uh, not no availability at home, but limited availability. I mean, it's very clear if the uh, biscuits are in a tin that's in a press, they're less likely to be consumed than if they're left uh, in an open tin on the counter. Uh, so just being aware of, of small nudge things that will just reduce consumption a little bit. And then you've got to address what the kid is doing when they're out from school at lunchtime and they're going into that environment in their local supermarket where it's set up. And we've all seen this, what, what the kids and students are walking out of those shops with. Uh, it, you know, it's the multi-packs. It's the sugar-sweetened drinks. Uh, you see the occasional uh, kid who's got a, a packed lunch that they brought with them uh, and, and they're in the minority. What then of income inequality in all of this, Donald? Because if you do want to eat non-processed food, it means that you are more likely to have to more regularly visit the supermarket to buy fresh ingredients, which has a significant transport cost. You're more likely to need to have the time available to, to you to cook from scratch again, which increases cost. And the ingredients themselves tend to be more expensive than the processed alternative. So do we create a great inequality in this? Uh, that inequality is very clear in the obesity statistics. Uh, so the prevalence of obesity in uh, the better off parts of our society and better educated parts of our society is much lower in both children and adults than in the less well off parts of our society. It is a myth uh, that you can't eat healthily and cheaply. But you have to be very clever and you have to have time to do that. And and uh, in our current society, we are uh, time poor and, and the food and drinks industry are very good. You know, convenience food has been replaced by hyper convenience food where it's food that you buy and, and the, the spoon or the fork is there for you to start eating it immediately. Um, so uh, in every way, uh, the food and drinks industry target uh, 
consumption to drive profits and oppose anything uh, such as calories on menu boards uh, that uh, might and legislation by saying we'll self-regulate they, they can self-regulate it's it's not uh, it doesn't make sense for them to self-regulate because their bottom line is their profit and shareholder and dividend well, in all of the context of what you have said there, if we go back to that stat that I quoted at the start, that 88% of the Irish population, according to some reports, would be obese by 2060, are you optimistic that we will avoid that outcome? Uh, I am optimistic for two reasons. One is, um, as I said, our baseline education level and insight into this problem. Uh, and number two, we're on the cusp of treatments for obesity uh, that are incredibly effective. Uh, and, and the disease of obesity has never had an effective treatment other than an operation. Uh, but we're now seeing uh, medications in development uh, that will deliver uh, weight loss results equivalent to surgery and that are being studied in uh, adolescents as well as adults. Uh, is that the way I wanted to see the obesity epidemic end? No, it's not. Uh, will it prevent the stats that you're talking about by 2060? It will, but at a major cost. And I think the cost of that should be funded from taxes on high fat, high salt, high sugar foods. Donald, thank you for your time. That's Donald O'Shea, or rather Professor Donald O'Shea, uh, who is head of the Obesity Research Group. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.